Ah, good evening, everyone. Um, I hope you're all doing all right today. And I just want to jump into the text. Why don't we open our Bibles in Amos chapter 3? I'm seeing a lot of new faces here. Hopefully, by the end of the evening, you'll be able to figure out my accent. And then, somehow, you'll understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll try to do my best, I promise. Whether it's going to work or not, don't know. God's grace. Let's open our Bibles. Amos chapter 3. This is what the word says. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word of the, the, word of the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought out, brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen or all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the ticket when he has no prey? Does he growl in its den when he has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground it has cut, he, he hasn't caught anything. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod, into the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourself in the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who was stored up in the fortresses where they had plundered and looted. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds, and plunder your fortresses. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of the bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On that day I punish Israel for her sins. I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altars will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Ah, what a difficult passage really is. <laughs> Tell me about it, really. Uh, I was given this passage like quite a few months ago, and originally I actually wrote on my phone that I was preaching chapter 4, and I was preparing myself to chapter 4. I was reading chapter 4, although I was reading a whole, chapter, a whole book, I would deny it, but I was focusing on chapter 4. And last Friday, I come to church, to the office, and go to meet John. We were just discussing what Amos is going to be like, and suddenly he says, yeah, but you know, 3 and 4 are always together, so it's going to be easy. I'm like... What do you mean three and four? And 
that's when actually I realized I was not doing chapter 4, but actually doing chapter 3. So if you feel I'm preaching chapter 4 today, please apologize, you now know why. <laughs> but I'm going to try to do in chapter 3. And the first thought that I have in my head when I was reading the book, the book of Amos, which is actually a kind of book very difficult. Not many people really like reading Amos because they feel it's very difficult to get. Normally when you get to Amos in the Bible, you're doing like chronologically or just going through the, through the whole book of the Bible, you just jump in. You go to the next one, next, and then you jump to that. And the first thing that came to my head was, and I'm going to be honest with this, how can God do something like this? I was like, what can I do with this passage? And then I began to spend a lot of time in Amos. Of course, that's not the message, basically. But then I began to spend a lot of time with Amos, and I began to discover what is actually behind it, to see what the context is about. And my thinking changed from how can God do something like this to what horrible people, what horrible Israel were. How can they forget what God has done for them? That is basically the whole message of Amos. God is roaring. God is crying out for them to see what they have forgotten. They have forgotten about him. They have forgotten what, they, what he has done for them. And they are going in a way that he is not happy with. That is when the judgment comes. That is why when it feels like God is roaring with angriness, perhaps. But it's lots of love being implied in that. So I'm going to try to lead you to that. And we'll try to see it. So I'm going to tell you a bit more about Amos. Amos is, in, I need to put this one up, yep. So Amos is a book, Amos was a prophet who actually lived in Judah, but he spoke to Israel. And his ministry took place during the reigns of Uzziah of Judah and the king of Jeroboam II of Israel, which is about 790 to 740 before Christ for you to have a picture of what's happening there. And basically, his message was about judgment. At the beginning of his prophecy, he firstly spoke of the six nations surrounding Israel, which are, does anybody remember? Which, there are no six nations of Rabbi, okay? That's different six nations. The six nations are Moab, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, and the Ammonites. And then he not only spoke about them, but he also spoke about Judah. And then finally, he moves to speak to is about Israel. Although Amos is speaking, but it's God, the lion, as describe it, he is roaring. And he is roaring against the six surrounding nations of Israel. And Israel goes. I can imagine when Amos is beginning in chapter one, in chap at the beginning of chapter one, declaring all the things against those six nations. Amos, uh, the people of Israel would be like, yes, keep going, Amos. Do it, do it that way. And then... The prophecy changed, and Amos goes, I'm not, speak, I'm no longer speaking about the six nations. I'm going to go and go and speak again Judah. And of course, Israel and Judah weren't good friends. So I can imagine the people from Israel were like, yes, keep going, keep going. Bring it on, bring it on, buddy. And then finally, from chapter 2, from verse 6 and on, the message changed. And then Amos is no longer speaking about the six nations. He's no longer speaking about Judah. But now he turns drastically and face Israel, and say, and now I have something for you, Israel. This is the message for you. It's actually you, the main reason why I'm coming to prophesy. My whole prophecy has nothing to do with them, but it has a lot to do with you. That's why I'm here. And basically, that is where 
where the Israelites are in chapter 3. They went from the enjoyment of chapter 1 to the confusion of chapter 2 to the shout of chapter 3 where the judgment is being revealed to them. And precisely, Israel is actually being judged, not just despised by the fact they were privileged, but because of the fact they were privileged. Because of the things they were given for God, is that God has to precisely do something with them. So, once we begin to dig into the first, uh, to the first few verses of the chapter, three, we develop a, how this one works. Okay, there we are. So I made three different titles for this one. So the first one is the fairness of God's judgment. You can actually see in verses one and two. And this is what it says. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen, but all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your sins. It was begin this chapter by reminding them that God's judgment is fair. He begins this war by saying, hear this war. The beginning of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, and the beginning of chapter 5 had a common scene, something very much in common. They all begin with the same war. Hear this war. Basically saying, Amos, listen to this. This is very, very, very important. Listen to this, and this is for you. That is what, that's how Amos started his the next three chapters, and he, he starts in here, and then he goes to develop the, the next thing. And basically, it's a reminder that Israel must listen and they must obey. But we probably will discover he wouldn't do, they wouldn't do that. So Amos draws deeply on an early scriptures to show how fair and biased God's judgment is. He calls them people of Israel. When he's saying people of Israel, he's not only defying the people in that place, but it's actually defying the whole people from Israel, both, both tribes, or both different nations, Judah and Israel, because they were both taken out from Egypt and brought from God to the place where he was promised. There are two important words here to see. The first one is in verse, chapter, in verse 2, where it says, you only have I chosen. Slice is working. Anyway, um, and this word chosen in this particular context describes a relationship, describes a word, God having a relationship or covenant with them. God had chosen Israel to reveal themselves, to reveal himself to them and to have a permanent relationship with them. And that's what he says. I have chosen for all the families of the year, you, Israel. And that's what I chose them to do. The first one we actually And basically, this describes a God's sovereign choice of Israel. And basically, he's loving and showing his loving concern for them, that he really cares, and he chose them. That was the first thing, that Israel is not only a nation. He, Israel is the only one nation with God having a specific covenant, a relationship of covenant. But then he goes to the next one, therefore, I will punish you. And the second word I want us to look is actually punish. Generally, in some other translations of the Bible, the same word is used in a different way. It's used as visit. So, the point that is happening here is like this, also, this word can also be translated as visit. And it occurs in different contexts. 
If you remember, if you ever read chapter 50 of Genesis, Joseph is about to die. The Israelites are in Egypt. And he is about to go away, but he speaks to the people of Israel. And he tells them this. Remember, God is going to come out from where you are here in Egypt. And will come and visit you and take you. He will take you to the land that he has promised you. That was the first time that actually this word was used in the context of visit. And now the prophet is coming to say that therefore God is going to come and punish them. And the same word is used in a very backwards way, I would say. So now they are in a promised land. But Amos is saying that the Lord is going to come and punish you. Slash beasts then. So the Lord is going to come and take them for where they are, which is the promised land. And they're going to be taken away to the exile. Do you see the contrast there? How because of disobedience, because of the fair judgment, that treatment of God has been reversed. This visit from God, that doesn't mean they are taken to the promised land. Actually, they are being taken out from the promised land. So that therefore here is the word that comes very strong. The Lord covenant of grace includes punishment for sins. Precisely because the Lord chose Israel, therefore he loves his people too much to let them sin. The whole reason why God is going to take Israel away from where they are is because they had been so disobedient to him. And they had no behavior in the way he has chosen to. And he has to do something. So Amos is coming to say, because of what you're doing, therefore, this is what the Lord is going to do. That is basically the, fair, the fairness of this judgment. And for a moment, I want you to, to think. Let's just stop for a moment. I've got a question for you. I want you to answer in your head. Probably you won't tell me, but answer it. Is God right to judge Israel at this point? Is God being unfair with them? Is God doing something he shouldn't do? God chose his people and gave them a name. He gave them a land. He gave them victory. He rescued them. He defeated their enemies. He gave them more and more and more and more things. And even with all they got from God, they have forgotten about him. He even gave them a relationship of covenant. He said, I'll, you'll be my people. And especially, the most astonishing thing, God said, and I will be your God. And they have forgotten that. So is this fair? Yes, sadly it is. God has been fair. Even when it sounds horrible, God has been fair. His treatment to Israel is fair. So the next thing we can actually see is from verses 3 to 8 is that this judgment is actually inevitable. I will read it to you again. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does it grow in its den, does it grow in its den when he has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap ground where he has no bait in there? 
Does a trap spring up on the ground when it has not caught anything? Amos presents a series of rhetorical questions to emphasize that actually the judgment is not that far away, that the judgment is imminent, that the judgment is going to come, and it's imminent and inevitable. And it will actually come to those who don't respond. The question in verse 3 continues this theme of relationship, playing in the relationship between God and Israel as it is intended. The clear implications is that the initial call of Israel needs to be sustained by a continuous walk with God. Something precisely they have stopped doing it. When he says, like, do walk do two walk together unless they have agreed so? They were supposed to agree so. That's why there was the relational covenant. But Israel was not doing that. Israel began to walk with God, but eventually drew away his hand and didn't want to walk with God anymore. Verse 4 and 5. The point that Amos is trying to do in verse 4 and 5 is he's trying to come across that every effect has a cause. But every cause is produced by an effect. The lion roars when he has found a prey. A young lion grows when, when he has got something. A trap needs a bait in order to work. Can you imagine a trap is going to work without a bait? We wouldn't be that fooling enough, would it? <laughs> a trap spring doesn't shut when it's empty. It has to do something. Basically what Amos is saying if you do this, this is going to happen. You take state A, actually you have to take state B, because that's what is actually happening. So Amos is telling them, this is inevitable, this is going to happen, and this is caused by something you have done. Verse 6 says that when a trumpet, no, sorry, when a trumpet sounds in a city, does people not tremble? Every time in the past, when a trumpet was blown in a city, people would know there was something about to happen. Either war, calamity, invasion, something wrong. And when the trumpet was blown, everyone would shake, everyone would tremble. Oh, let's do something. Let's get my child. Let's call daycare. Let's do something. Oh, let's go to Ikea and get something. We need to, because we're going to be invaded. Let's prepare for that. And people knew it. And Amos is calling that and saying, you know that. But now when I'm coming to you and telling you the message from God, that God is roaring, you don't even care. You know how to be alert when a trumpet blows, blows in the city. But when God is blowing, when he is crying out, you don't do anything. Amos is saying, I'm coming to blow the trumpet. God has spoken. He is roaring. You must respond. You must turn to God. The judgment is coming. Do something, Israel. But Israel is not doing anything. Israel had seen God's judgment in pagan nations many times in the past. But now they are about to face the same just judgment from God to each one of them. Verses 7 and 8 declares that the Lord has revealed this to Amos. God has spoken, has spoken now. The prophet must prophesy. 
like a lion's voice. It evokes fear when you hear it. So that's the word of the Lord. Compels the prophet to prophesy. Amos is saying like, everything that the Lord has told me, I cannot be quiet. I have to tell you. This is the message for you, Israel. Wake up. Realize what you're doing. Walk away from it. God is roaring. And he's screaming out. Realize it. They wouldn't do it. Amos can't stop this. Neither can Israel. But although even when judgment cannot be stopped, it could be easily be prepared for. But since they are not doing anything, they are not able to be prepared for it. There is always an implied call for repentance in the prophecy or judgment. God is showing in some ways his steadfast laws over Israel. He's sending his prophet to come and speak to them. It would have been easy for God to judge them right away, to bring the Assyrians the next day and they will be done. But God is actually showing his love, giving the time and saying, you got this prophet. He's coming to speak to you on my behalf. Repent. Do something. It's actually funny. From the day when the prophecy was given, it took like 40 years when we actually, the Assyrians came. It is a long time, isn't it? I'm not even 40 yet. So many years for them to repent. So many opportunities for them to realize what God was doing. They wouldn't care. Amos was not speaking about God's people. Amos was speaking to God's people. The message was straight to them. It was not about them. It was to them. You must repent. You must change. God is telling you to do something different. They wouldn't listen to it. People were ignoring the word of the roaring God spoken by Amos. None of them were responded. And I wonder... How many times do, are we like Israel when we hear the voice of God through his word and we just ignore it? We don't listen to it. Sometimes when even we know what the Bible says, we still choose to do wrong. How similar to Israel can we actually be? I don't know, just a generic question that just came to my head. How many times have I been in that situation where I feel like even knowing what the Bible says, I do something wrong and I say, ah, it's fine. Nobody knows. It's fine. I've got the freedom to do whatever I want. This country gives me freedom so I can do whatever I want. Uh, and so many other excuses to do whatever you want. Even ignoring what the Bible says. This is the position of Israel. This is how they are. They are ignoring what God is, what has told them what to do. But they don't want to do it. If they don't want to have this permanent relationship with God. And God has been so merciful to them. He is letting them know that they are wrong. Giving them, giving them a chance to repent. But they, again, they wouldn't do it. Do not never... Do not allow yourself to be like them in any time. 
Do not ever ignore the Word of God. Ignore what the Bible says. The last thing I'll be dealing with comes from verses 9 to 15. He's not only describing, the first point he was describing was the fairness of the judgment. The second point he was describing that this judgment was inevitable and it's going to happen. You must react, you must do something. If you don't respond, the judgment is going to come to you. And now he's describing the nature of the judgment. What, is, what actually the judgment is going to involve? What's going to happen with it? The first thing is worth noticing is in verse 9. It says, Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourselves to the mountain of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. When God has, has rescued Israel from slavery and when God had chosen Israel to bring them to a promised land and when God had chosen to have a permanent relationship with them, the purpose was for them to reflect what God is or who God is, for them to show what a godly nation should be like. He had brought up Israel to show to the world what a godly nation should be and to reflect to the, pagan, to the pagan neighbors what a nation should be like. But here the prophets, with big irony, is calling Ashdod, which was a Philistine city, and it's calling Egypt, which was an enemy of Israel, first of all, an enemy of God. And he's calling these two people to come and witness against Israel. How wicked Israel may have been that the prophet has to call two barbarians, horrible and evil doers nations, to come and witness against God's holy people. God, the prophet, is calling these two pagan nations to come and witness against Israel. Can you imagine? I was an Israelite at that point. That may have been shocking. God is so proud to show an unbeliever and say, like, look, look how my son is not behaving the way he wants. Or look what, how my people are not doing what I want them to do. And you laugh and look at them. That is kind of the way he's picturing at it. It's irony and it's sadness at the same time. The scene was so evident as expressed in, in verses 9. There was oppression. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. There was materialism and violence. Verse 10, their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by robbery and violence. Even verse 10 says, they do not know how to do right. Normal proper behavior is so far away from them. And that leads to a gross materialism and violence. Defending a wealth of privilege. So they are doing everything that God has told them not to. And because of that, they must be punished. All this behavior will lead to evident destruction. That therefore here comes very strong. In verse 11 it says,
Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, an enemy will overrun you, your land, pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. It's funny, but this, the beginning of this verse, verse 11, with the therefore, it's very similar to what was happening in chapter 28, when God was describing actually, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 28, when God was describing what the blessings and the curses for obedience or disobedience are going to happen. And this verse here in chapter, in verse 11, brings to my head a lot of that. For the whole chapter of Deuteronomy, as I was saying, it is about the blessings for disobedience and the curses for, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. From verses 1 to 14 in chapter 28, I'm just giving you a heads up about that. God is describing what a blessing they would get in their obedience. But in verse 15 of 28, he says, however, if you are disobedient, this is what you're going to get. And it's pretty similar with basically the pattern that is happening here in Amos. I'm pretty sure Amos knew about uh, chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. The second thing is going to happen with them. And there, there comes the therefore, as I said. So they are showing oppression. They are acting in sin. And God is going to come and punish them. God is going to come and do something for them. Two main things he's going to do. The first one, they're going to be defeated in battle, as verse 11 and 12 says. As I said before, the Assyrians are going to come. They're going to come and destroy them. They're going to come and do something to them. They're going to destroy all the greatness that they used to have. They will be demolished. They're going to attack their city. Their cities are going to be knocked down. Something is going to come. It's going to come. It's going to be bad. Keep your eye in verse 11 and listen to what I'm reading from chapter 28, verse 52 of Deuteronomy. How, find how similar the circumstances are here. He says, chapter 28. Verse 52, but keep your eye on Amos 3.11 and listen to this. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you. That was from Deuteronomy chapter 28. What is, what is Amos telling them in chapter 11? Precisely that. What he was told, if you are disobedient, that's going to happen. Amos chapter 3 is telling them, this is actually happening. This will happen. The other thing for them is going to be, they'll only be defeated in battle, but there will also, the places where they take fails refugee, the places where they take fails worship, the places where they take false security is going to be destroyed. Verses 13 to 15 describes the altar of Bethel. The altar of Bethel was made by Jeroboam the first. It was a golden. It was, it was actually made from a golden calf, and the purpose was Israel didn't want to go and worship in Jerusalem anymore because they were split. So Israel decided we don't want to go there anymore. So Jeroboam the first said. I don't want to go there anymore. So I'm going to create something here. I'm going to lift it up, an altar. And we're going to put a golden calf here. And this is going to be the altar in Bethel. 
and people are going to come here and worship because we don't want to go to the place where God told us to go. Which, one, which place was that? Jerusalem. We don't want to go there anymore. We want to be here. And they decided to do that. That was not a godly sin. That was something full of idolatry. That was something done full of selfishness and trying to do something against to God, against God. The other thing that is actually verse 14 is telling us that the horns on the altar will be cut off. Something would happen in that time, in that altar. It's in somebody was looking for refuge and somebody was running away from something. Whenever they would get to the altar of Bethel, they would find the horns. If they were put their hands on the horns, nobody could touch them. They would be able to take refuge in them. But here the prophet is saying, that place where you take false refuge, that place, he's saying, it's going to be cut off. Even the places where you worship, even the places where you take refuge, will be cut off. Why? Because of your disobedience. Because you've forgotten who I am. I can really understand how Israel could have forgotten something like what David would say. Remember what David said in Psalm 91, verse 2. It's a very famous psalm. You might remember it. He says, I will save of the Lord. You remember? He is my refuge. My fortress. My God would I trust. But Israel was seeking refuge in the altar. Was seeking refuge something else. Do not allow yourself to take refuge in something else different than God. Like David did. God is my refuge. For Israel, God was not. And he had to punish them for that. The last thing it says that he actually has to, to destroy the, the houses, the winter houses and summer houses. That has to do a lot with possession and luxury. Those places were only affordable by kings and they have to be very wealthy to do that. These houses will fail to protect them against God. The opulent living of Israel has caused a terrible state. They had become abusive and the rich had plundered and looted the poor. In prosperity, they had forgotten God. Remember, when Amos was speaking, although he's speaking about judgment, the judgment is not there yet. So they are still a rich nation. They are still prospering. They are still doing good. And in all this opulency and all this greatness they are having, they are forgotten about God. And he's coming to say, all those places where you actually go and enjoy your, you give a good life, are going to be cut off, are going to be destroyed. All of those places. They will be destroyed. Those places won't protect you. This brings to my head as well what the wise, the wise Solomon would say at some point in chapter 30 of Proverbs. He would say something like, Lord, give me nor poverty, neither riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be... Uh, lest I be rich and deny you, say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. In prosperity, they have forgotten about God. There are so many things to say 
that they were actually doing wrong. And I know probably you're, at this point, you're already depressed because either you didn't get my accent or you didn't get what I'm saying or what I'm saying is horrible that you don't want to listen anymore. But, and generally, chapter 3 is very difficult. And um, this is a very complicated chapter. But this is perhaps what I'm going to finish. I can preach a sermon on judgment. without talking about salvation. Because the same God who is offering judgment to Israel at this point through the prophet, it's crying out saying, but you come to me, I will save you. You come to me, I will rescue you. But Israel wouldn't do that. Verse 12 gives us a glance of what this is going to happen. There is hope, in a few, it says, in a few fragments of the lamb rescued from the mouth of the lion, meant that a tiny remnant of Israel, which will survive the judgment. Even when the Syrians came, they took, they destroyed everything. They took the people into exile. And we know later on, by reading the Bible, that there was a remnant who was able to come back. And from that remnant, like nearly 700 years later, a virgin was found pregnant. God himself decided to come to this world from that remnant. Only God would have chosen to save or do something with people who are worthless, like the Israelites. That's what he did that day. And from that seed, from that remnant, he brought Jesus, like 700 years later. And he lived a perfect life. We all know. He showed us the way. We all know. And he went to a cross. We all know. And he died for our sins. We all know. Even God, when he was judging Israel, he decided to save them and help them to a small remnant to come back. That kind of goodness doesn't happen very often, does it? Precisely it does. Because the Bible says that God himself, when we were worthless, when we were full of sin, as Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. Israel was, wasn't worth to be saved. They didn't, re, they didn't have any reasons to be saved, but even though God's going to do something for them, God has shown mercy to them, and there was a remnant who still stand. You all know what's happening in, in Israel now. Nowadays, but at the same time, the same God decided to show the same mercy to us. God at the same time is offering judgment and is offering salvation for us. Judgment if we don't take Christ, salvation if we do. But it's only trusting in Him that could make us.
no run away from salvation or from judgment. But Christ takes the judgment that is deserved for us. And we get what we don't deserve. That has been the most difficult and complicated Amos 3 you can ever listen. You can ever hear. But I promise it will get better. Somebody better is going to come speak next week. <laughs> but at the same time, the message gets better. And eventually, by chapter 9 of Amos, you'll, you'll all be excited. You'll be like, yes, that's what we're waiting for. Father, we thank you that your judgment is fair. It was fair for Israel, and it's fair for us as well. Father, we thank you that the judgment for Israel was inevitable, but they were still were given a chance to repent. They wouldn't listen. Help us not to be like them. Help us to listen what the Bible says, not to ignore it. When the lion's floor is roaring, help us to come close to him rather than run away from him. Father, we thank you because you are a God who cares. And you are a God who has chosen your people, even from the foundation of the world. And you sent Jesus for us to take the judgment that we deserve. And if we only trust in him, he gave us his salvation and keeps us away from it. Father, Amos 3 is very complicated. Maybe I made it more complicated. But we are so thankful that even after Amos, one day you sent Jesus and he saved us when we trusted in him. In the name of you, Son, I thank you for this time. I pray for my brothers and sisters here to learn from Amos chapter 3, to be a good witness among pagan nations, to be good witness in the light when we have to show light in the darkness. Help us to take refuge in you and not in anywhere else. Father, we thank you for today. In the name of your Son.